Isaiah chapter 9, verse 8. Now, the context of this is that God has sent judgment against Israel. They've misbehaved. They've been uh, going against God's law. They've been rejecting God's words. They've been not been listening to what God has to say. And they've been living a wicked life. They've been living a sinful uh, life. And God's got sick of them. And God has decided to, to, to punish them through other countries. Other nations have started attacking Israel. And God's allowed these nations to come in and attack his people because they've been uh, not acting like he wants them to act. And they've been sinning. They've been full of iniquity. So it says here that verse 8, The Lord sent a word unto Jacob and hath lighted upon Israel. Talking about his, his people. And all the people shall know, even Ephraim and the inhabitant of Samaria, that say, that say in the pride and stoutness of heart. This is what they have to say in their pride. This is what they have to say back to God in verse 10. The bricks are falling down, but we will build with hewn stones. You know what? These, our tires have been knocked down. Our walls have been knocked down by these nations, but we're going to rebuild again. It says uh, the sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. It goes, well, our sycamore trees have been cut down by these nations, but we're going to plant cedars in their place. Look at verse 11. Therefore the Lord shall set upon the adversaries of Razan against him and join his enemies together. The Syrians before and the Philistines behind. So he says, I'm going to surround you by all your enemies and they're going to destroy you. And they shall devour Israel with open mouth. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand, the Lord's hand, his hand is stretched out still. His hand is stretched out still. This is the anniversary of 9-11. This is 15 years since 9-11, one of the greatest the most amazing things that ever happened to American history outside of Pearl Harbor, I believe, that we were attacked on our soil by, by the enemy. And it was uh, not only was it an attack, but in the day and age we lived in, we got to see it on camera and on TV from practically every angle you can imagine as the attack happened, as those planes flew into those twin tires. And I remember being up at Banner Printing. I was still working at Banner Printing. That shows how long ago it was. And uh, uh, my pastor at the time, Brother... Uh, Reuben Packer, he called me up at, at work. He never had called me at work. He called me at work, and they said, uh, uh, Brother Packer's on the phone to talk to you. And I'm thinking, oh, no. I mean, you know, if you get a call from your pastor at work who's never called you, I'm figuring somebody died. So I run to the phone, I answer the phone, and it goes, you won't believe this, but they just flew planes into the, to one of the buildings up there in New York. And there's another plane that's about to hit the building or just, just hit the building too. And he's telling me all this stuff going on during the 9-11 during the attacks. And he says, Keegan, Keegan, this, the, the time is at hand. God's about to come back. And I remember the, back of my, the hair on the back of my neck standing up, you know, and I got off the phone with the pastor and everything. And he was right. I got home at lunch, and, man, it was, it was something I never could imagine seeing on TV, the Twin Tires falling. And uh, I could see God's hand in that. And it was amazing how people started rallying, rallying around this country and started trying to get this country great. They wanted this country to be great again, and they wanted, they wanted to know how this could happen. And there was a, even people were even starting to like George Bush. I mean, even the media was kind of getting behind George Bush. That's how, that's how scared so many people were in this country. And uh, you, look, you think about that 15 years later, where God was sending a warning message to America, we better straighten up. It was a warning message to America that he's sick and tired of the lifestyle we're living, the attitude we have towards him, and that at any moment he can take his hand off this country or he can stretch his hand out on this country and something bad could happen and we can do nothing about it and it could be in a miraculous way. 
And when he, you have something like that happen where you can see it, and it's, it's, it's right there where you can see everything is happening. God's speaking to your heart. You better wake up. It's time to straighten up. And I think there was just a slight revival in America at the time. I think people were trying to turn to God for answers. And, but now, 15 years later, we look at this country. Where are we at today? I remember at the time, and the reason why I read these verses at the time, some of our leaders, there was two of our leaders at the time, Jonathan Edwards and John Edwards and uh, Tom Daschle. They stood up and they were, read verse 10. Isaiah 9, verse 10. They read that. Read that with me again. The bricks are falling down, but we will build with home stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. They read that verse. And they said, they said, Dashiell said, I heard John Edwards say, this verse should give you some hope. I'm going to read this verse. I'm going to read this scripture to give you hope. This guy is a biblical idiot. This verse is, this verse is how the pride talk. Read that. It's the pride in heart. Look at the end of verse 9. That say in the pride and stoutness of heart, hey, the bricks are falling down, but we will build with home stones. It don't matter what God does. We're going to keep on building. And they're reading these verses. And the, and the Americans would lap this stuff up. They never opened up their Bibles to see what the verse said. That's the last verse you should be reading. That verse is say, that's what God said they're saying. And we got up and said it. Hey, it doesn't matter. We're going to rebuild again. We're going to make America great again. And 15 years later, is America great again? I don't believe it is. And I believe if you could look me in the face and say you think America's great again, I think you don't know the America I know. And you don't want the America, you don't know what greatness is if you think America's great. It's a sad thing to look at America 15 years later after 9-11. We haven't learned a thing. We haven't progressed. We've degressed. Things are worse off than they were. And it scares me. The way people talk, the way people act. Things aren't any better in America. And God's hand is still stretched out against America. Look at verse 13. For the people turneth not unto him that smiteth them. Neither do they seek the Lord of hosts. God's the one that smites us. It isn't the Muslims. It isn't Saudi Arabia. It isn't Iraq. It isn't Iran. It's God that allows it to happen. And until America gets that in their thick heads, we're never going to be great again. God has control of what we can do and what people can do to us. God controls all this. And when he smites us down like that, when he brings in hurricane after hurricane, disaster after disaster on this country, we need to wake up. It's a warning. It's God trying to wake us up. And they, they won't turn, we won't turn to him. Verse 13, but the people turneth not unto him that smiteth him. You better look at the person that's spanking you. <laughs> you better look at the person that's spanking you. When your dad is spanking you, that's how you turn around and say, Dad, what do I need to do to keep you from spanking me again? <laughs> but we don't do that as Americans. We don't even think God's spanking us. When Katrina came on this country, when Hurricane Katrina hit this country, and we know that God controls the weather, amen, according to the Bible, and a, and a Christian would stand up and say, I believe that God is trying to wake us up. Oh, God would never do that. God would never sing, send a hurricane. If God didn't send that hurricane, who did? Somebody allowed it to happen. You better wake up. 
God's in control of things. You better wake up. Verse 14, Therefore the Lord will cut off from Israel head and tail, branch and rush in one day. The ancient and honorable, he is the head. And the prophet that teacheth lies, he is the tail. See these false prophets, these false pastors, these false preachers that are preaching prosperity that are in America saying, hey, God's okay with us. And America saying, hey, God's going to be okay with us. What we're doing is right. God's, God loves us. God, God says, I'm going to cut them off. God wants men to stand up that will preach the word of God. Amen. Well, God wants. Verse 16, for the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. Therefore the Lord shall have no joy in their young men, neither shall have mercy on their fatherless and widows, for everyone is a hypocrite and an evildoer. That's what God says about us. Because says every one of them are hypocrites and evildoers. And every mouth speaketh folly. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Even after this, God says, you know what? My hand is still stretched out against you. As Americans, and we see what's happened this 15 years later since 9-11, we can still see, as Christians, we can see God's hand is still stretched out persecuting America. America's not great. And we have a candidate running today that stands up and says, we need to make America great again. He's right. We do need to make America great again. But it isn't going to be the way they think. I'm going to show you some steps out of the Bible we need to take as Americans to make America great again. According to the Bible. Turn to Isaiah chapter 5. I'm going to show you some steps we can take as Americans. This is an American message preached to Americans. You know, we have this podcast, and uh, it's amazing that we put this podcast up on the Internet, and this podcast goes all over the world. We have people all over the world listen to the sermons, listen to the preaching. But this message isn't for anybody in the world. This message this morning is for the people of America. This is for Americans. Because Americans, they want to stand up and say, God bless America, and we want to salute our flag, and we love our country. I love this country. And we see the men of this country, some of these young men, they're trying to make protests. You know, they sit down in the national anthem and they don't want to stand up or they want to kneel. They don't want to stand up. They want to do all this protest. And people on every side, they want to stand up for America. Well, we need to make America great to where we want to stand up for her. Look at verse 20, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. This is to my fellow Americans. These are six steps America needs to take. I'm going to give you six steps this morning that America needs to take to make America great again. Now I'm calling these steps. And I'm not calling these points. I'm calling these steps. Because when I'm saying these are steps. These are steps back toward God. Amen. And what I mean by this is. America has turned their face to, from God. He's, we've turned our back to God. We do, a lot of Americans don't even believe God exists. That's right. That's right. So what I'm trying to say this morning is. As Americans we need to do a repenting, we need to do a turn, we need to turn ourselves back towards God, and these six steps will take us back toward God. But first, you've got to turn toward God. There's got to be a repenting. This is for my fellow Americans, verse 20. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. This is the first step. Woe unto them that call evil good, and good evil, that put darkness for light, and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. 
The first step America needs to take to be great again, and we need to stop calling evil good. Amen. We need to stop calling evil good. We need to stop calling good evil. This country's full of people that call something that's good evil and call what's evil good. Now, you might be here this morning and say, well, Brother Keegan, what is good? What is evil? The Bible tells you everything you need to know about what's good and what's evil. I don't need to judge that. You don't need to judge that. You can't judge what's good and evil. I can't judge what's good and evil. This Holy Bible judges what's good and evil. God's Word tells us what's good and evil. So when we take something that God says is evil and we lift it up and make it good, I'm not even going to tell you what I'm talking about. Y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Amen? Y'all know what I, I don't even have to say it. Y'all get sick of me talking about it all the time. But they'll take something that's evil and they'll try to make it good. And they'll take something that's good, somebody doing something good for America, and they try to make it evil. You need to stop doing that. Our sorry, no good President Obama, and I will say he's sorry, no good. He's sorry, no good. He went to, he, for the first time in his presidency, he went to a mosque and visited a mosque over in Baltimore. He went over there and visited a mosque and walked in, you know, and it, they probably welcomed him. I know they welcomed him because he's a Muslim. Yeah. You know, and I read an article where they said, some people still believe that Obama's not a Christian. Who believes he is a Christian? Amen. Come on. You know, I'm, I'm not stupid. You think I'm stupid, and I, I can be stupid, but I'm not stupid when I look at that. It's cracking like a duck. It's walking like a duck. Yeah, it's a duck. He's a Muslim. He goes to, I, you, would, you wouldn't catch me near a Muslim temple. Why? Because I'm not a Muslim. The reason why a Muslim temple is allowed to li be in this country because Christians created this country with religious liberty. Amen. Christians created this country with religious liberties. Muslims create countries with no religious liberties. You can't go to a Muslim country and have a Christian church that lives there without being persecuted or burned or destroyed. And they want to call us hypocrites. You're the hypocrite. You're living in a great country because Christians created this country is why it's a great country. Wake up! Don't stop calling good, evil, and evil good. Franklin Graham, the last good pastor we have in this country. Billy Graham's not good anymore, but Franklin Graham is. His son, Franklin Graham, this is what he wrote. The fact, when, when he found out that Obama went to that temple, this is what Franklin Graham wrote. The foundations of this nation have nothing to do with Islam. Amen. But everything to do with the church of Jesus Christ. Islam cannot save anyone from hell. Or open the gates of heaven. This is Franklin Graham. Only one can do that. Jesus Christ. Amen. The Son of God. Who paid the debt of sin for all mankind. By giving his life as a sacrifice on Calvary's cross. Where he suffered and died for our sins. And that's good preaching. Amen. Took our sins to the grave. And on the third day God raised him triumphantly to life. That's Franklin Graham. That's a good preacher. We need more preachers like that. And oh, the media hates Franklin Graham. And you know what? If you find out somebody the media hates, that's who you need to love. Amen. Franklin says here, praise the Lord for Franklin Graham. He has some guts. He says, 
He's alive today. Talking about Jesus Christ. Now listen, this is Franklin Graham. This man's trying to get himself killed. Because he says, Jesus, he's alive today. Muhammad is dead. Is that true? Is Muhammad dead? I worship a risen Lord. Islam can't compete with that. <laughs> Guys, the first step for America to be great again is we need to turn and we need to stop calling evil good and good evil. Look at verse 21. Here's the next step. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. As Americans, we need to stop being so stuck up, so nose in the air, so arrogant, and so pompous. We need to stop acting that way. We need to humble ourselves down and realize any time, any place, God can destroy this nation. This nation was set and based on some men that humbled themselves and had humility before God and acknowledged that Jesus Christ and this Bible and God is the only reason why they existed and lived through the Revolutionary War and they gave all the praise and honor to God. Amen. And these people here, they're wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. They don't even think there's anything wrong. There's people that think this country is going right where it needs to go. And it is if you want it to go on down to hell. They think this country's riding its ship. That we're finally getting things straight. And as Christians, we know, no, man, we've turned this ship and it's heading straight down into hell. But they're wise in their own lives. They think, they think everything's going to be okay. Everything's all right. It's these people here. It's these Christians. Sometimes it's Christians, sometimes it's non-Christians. They're the ones that have destroyed our American heritage. They're the ones that have destroyed everything we care about in this country. They're the ones that's brought God's judgment down on this country. Amen. And we need to stop having these people running around like this, acting like this. We need to stop being a bunch of know-it-alls. Walk around like they know everything about science. They know everything about outer space. They know everything about the human body. They don't know squat. <laughs> Do we know a little bit? Well, what we know, God's given us knowledge to know that. And they don't even turn around and give God the credit for that. Guys, when you hear a scientist being a big know-it-all, just laugh at them because they can't cure the common cold. They can't cure my bald head. They can't do squat. And until they come up for a cure for my bald head, they don't know squat. Man, they come up and say, we've just this close. I, I read this scientist say, we're just this close that we're figuring everything out and then there'll be no need for God. You're this close to figuring everything out and you can't figure out the common cold and you can't figure out how to cure a bald head? And don't tell me plugs, being plugs being put on a head is curing the baldness. They don't cure baldness. Man, anybody walking around with a bald head should say, science, no squat. I don't get people. Just, I, they want to believe this stuff. They want to believe it. They want to believe it. Because you know what? Then they can do away with God. And they think, well, there won't be a judgment coming, but judgment's coming. Amen. When you see those twin tires get hit, God said, wake up. Judgment's coming. Yes, sir. Verse 22. Here's the third step we need to take. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to, drink, to mingle strong drink. We need to stop being a nation full of drunks. We need to be, stop being a nation full of drinkers and drunks. This, this nation wasn't, wasn't great when we were all a bunch of drunks. 
This nation wasn't great. It wasn't created by a bunch of drunks. But we, we can't do anything in this country without alcohol. People don't think you can have fun without alcohol. You know, they got rid of the Brownwood reunion. They finally got rid of that mess down there that I had to be a part of all weekend long, clean up every Friday, every Saturday night after all these drunks, beer cans everywhere. They finally got rid of the reunion, but that wasn't good enough. We got rid of the carnival for the kids. We got rid of all the stuff for the kids. But you know what they're going to keep doing? They're going to keep having their beer garden, and they're going to have their beer tasting, and they're advertising everywhere. You know, they got rid of the reunion where everybody can, all the kids, you can bring your family down there, but don't you worry, we got rid of all that, but we're going to keep on drinking. We need to stop being a nation full of drunks. <laughs> Man, I can see that's as popular, that's like, throwing, I can see I threw a wet, wet rag and just threw it on top of some of y'all. We need to stop drinking. I make no apologies. <laughs> I make no apologies. I've got a church full of some ex-drunks. Amen. I got, I got a church full of some people like me that used to drink and know how foul it is. And if you talk to a lot of pastors that have to deal with people with alcohol problems, you wouldn't feel the same way about alcohol that you do. Ran into some, some woman, doesn't even know me. She found out I'm a pastor. And the first thing she said is, pray for my boyfriend, he drinks too much. Pray for my brother, he drinks too much. Pray for my... She had three or four people she wanted to pray for simply because they drank too much. We're, for, we're a nation full of drunks. <laughs> Woe unto them. I didn't write it. You're reading it. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine. And men of strength to mingle strong drink. Look at verse 23. Which justify the wicked for reward. And take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. Verse 23 is our fourth step. And our fourth step is to stop rewarding the wicked. And taking away, taking away the reward of the righteous. We need to stop lifting up these wicked people. These actors and these celebrities and these sports celebrities, they can do just about anything they want to do, and we lift them up and glorify them. O.J. Simpson, murderer. I don't care if you believe he's a murderer or not. He's at the very least a wife beater. He's a, that's been proven. He's in prison because he broke in and was trying to pull a gun on somebody in Vegas. Throw him in jail. There's people that would kill you to go get his autograph. You think, oh, that's just because that's them way up there. Was it, not, was it not here in Hamilton and Heiko that they had the Billy the Kid days? Yeah. Billy the Kid days? If I read my history right, Billy the Kid was a murderer. <laughs> was it not Comanche they had the John Wesley days? John Wesley Harden days? If I didn't read my history right, he's a murderer. We're rewarding the murderers and the killers and the rapists in this country. Amen. And all these movies we love to watch, all these, movies, these TV shows, all those murderers and killers and child molesters on there, we love to glorify them too. Rob Lowe, convicted of having sex with a 16-year-old. Any one of us men in here, we'd be thrown in prison for most of our life. Brandished, never be able to get a job again for being a sex offender. They got Rob Lowe up there making fun of it. Giving him a celebrity roast. Laughing about it. Using every foul language you can think about. It, rewarding him. Guys, we need to wake up and stop being a nation that rewards the wicked. That's what the verse says. I'm not just saying it. I'm reading you what the Bible says. What God says. Which justify the wicked for reward. Look at verse 24. 
fifth step. Therefore, as the fire devours the stubble, this is God talking. Verse 24, therefore, as the fire devours the stubble and the flame consumeth the chaff, so their root shall be as rottenness, and their blossom shall go up as dust. He's going to destroy them. Why? Because, why, Lord? Because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts and despised, despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. The fifth step to making this country great again to my fellow Americans is we need to get back to the Bible. We need to get back to God's words. We took the Bibles out of the schools. And our schools have never been the same. You know, you can't get a Bible into school, but you sure can get a Bible when you first go into prison. One of my favorite old-time preachers, Lester Roloff, man, he, he had the Texas government after him. He had the American government after him. He had so many people hate, hating him down in Corpus Christi when he lived, had his ministry down there. He's my hero. Anybody who gets the government after him and has everybody hating him and he's a Christian, he's usually my hero. Because he's usually making people mad. This is what Lester Roloff said. People read newspapers far more than they read the Word of God. And then we wonder why America is in the mess she's in today. This is the book. This is the book that made America great. But since it's been kicked out, we've seen America go under and down. That's that great Texas preacher, Lester Roloff. He's dead and gone on to be with the Lord now. But he was exactly right. He wrote that in the 80s. Could he have even imagined what most of us do on our phones all day long? We can spend, we, I see people walk around. If, if, I was a, if I was a young man about to go into college, I would, there's two things I would go into college to be, either a neck surgeon or a, or a thumb surgeon. Because you see kids and they're all down like this. They got their necks down and they got their thumbs doing this right here. You're going to be a billionaire. I'm not a millionaire. You will be a billionaire if you become one of those two surgeons. Because that's all America knows to do. But you don't see anybody with their head down in the book. We need more Americans with their head down in the book. If American had his head down in the book when Dashiell and Edwards was reading verse 9 of of chapter 9, verse 10, when he was reading that, the bricks are falling down, he'd say, man, that guy's an idiot. But I didn't hear anybody come out saying they were idiots. The biblical idiots. And you know why Tom Daschle could read that verse? Because he knows Americans don't read their Bibles. Praise God, we read our Bible. Amen. I sure hope you're reading your Bible. We need a country of Bible readers. Amen. Kenneth Briggs, he's a guy that writes for Godbeat. He's been writing this article, Godbeat. He's a religion reporter for Newsday. He's a religion editor for the New York Times. So this guy's a... A big shot. He's decided to write a book, and this book he's titled it, it's called The Invisible Bestseller, Searching for the Bible in America. And this guy's a Christian, and he says, Nobody's, nobody, nobody talks about the Bible anymore. Nobody has anything to do with the Bible, and it's a mystery. It's like the Bible is in a museum exhibit. So they, they interviewed this guy, and he, he said, what's some, what's some of the things that was interesting to you when you went across the country writing this book? He said, well, the first thing that blew my mind was that when I went into a prison in New York, a jail, a prison in New York, the inmates knew the Bible better than I did. The inmates knew the Bible better than I did. You know why they know the Bible better than you do? Because they're reading it more than you are. Because that's all they have the time to do. 
Here's the question that la the lady was interviewing this guy. When, when, when you say the Bible is disappearing from public life, what do you mean? He said, well, people aren't reading it very much. And it just doesn't show up in, as they love to say, public discourse. It doesn't really make any, many appearances. And it's not in the public consciousness. The Bible is kind of off the public grid in a way I've never experienced before. What he's basically saying is nobody talks about the Bible. Nobody cares about the Bible. But everybody has a Bible. Isn't that amazing? You can't hardly go to a house in the world that doesn't have a Bible in it, but nobody's read it. Nobody's reading it. In all your tra travels and all the... This is another question. In all your travels and all the different places you went looking for the Bible, was there any place where you were expecting to see the Bible where it wasn't? She says, you went all these places. Was there a place you were looking for the Bible and you thought you'd find it and you didn't find it? Guess what he says? Yes, in the mega top churches. Big churches. The churches that were really heavily loaded with the visual and the audio and the rest of the electronic stuff, the music, I was really stunned by what I saw as an alternative version of Christianity being delivered through those means. I didn't consider it biblical in the fullest sense. I thought it was highly stylized. The versions of Jesus, who Jesus was, being filtered through these videos, and in some way I found almost shocking in how they seemed to vary from the fuller, much fuller picture that exists in the New Testament. He said, I went into these big mega churches and there was no Bibles. He said, I was surprised by that. Next question. What does it say about us that despite the diminished role of the Bible, it's still listed in the Guinness World Records as the world's best-selling book? This is still the best-selling book in the world. And you know, the King James Bible is the best-selling book of all time. This is what he said about that question. We still love it to some extent. Look, we love it as an artifact, as a keepsake, as a gift to people we think do read the Bible, even though they may not. So it may, remains very popular in the same way like you would say a rabbit's foot. People are treating this Bible, and Americans are treating this Bible like it's just like a lucky rabbit's foot. Dust on the cover. Nobody's reading it. And you have people come up to me. Where's God? He's up here and he's wrote to you. Amen. If you were missing your loved one and you were wondering where your loved one was at and you came up to me and said, where's my loved one at? And I said, well, they wrote you a letter over here. Wouldn't you run over there and read that letter? Don't ask me where God's at. He's up here, and he's wrote it right there. The problem is people don't like what he wrote. Amen. That's what they don't like. And you know what I've said a hundred times from this pulpit? More than a hundred times. I don't like what God wrote either. <laughs> How many times have you heard me say, I'd like to take that verse and cut it out of my Bible? I don't like what God wrote either. But he's God. And I respect him and honor him as God. And I know it don't matter what I think, it's what he says. <laughs> what would you say in the, 
is the Bible's current position in American public life. And how would you see, how, how have you seen that change, which was what it was before? It's, it's largely unknown. The Bible's unknown. By that same token, it's discoverable. It's there for you to read, and it's not assumed anymore that people know about it. He said, it used to be something people that thought they ought to know something about. People, even atheists, thought they should know the Bible. And they did largely know the do's and the don'ts when the Bible was regarded, at the very least, as a rule book that you gave, that gave you moral guidelines to get into heaven or to lead a decent life, not to be cynical about it. We're living in a country that people don't look at this as a moral guideline. They look at it, they're very cynical about it. Who wrote that? Who, who knows who wrote that? How can you prove God wrote that? And then when you give them proof, well, they back off. You don't want to know the truth. That's what the truth is. You don't want to know the truth. You write in your book that, the, this is the last question she asked him, that there's an emergence of a Bible-less Christianity, a Christianity without the Bible. Can you talk about that? He says the background, of course, is that the Reformation period gave at least a segment of Christians the access to the Bible. That's me and you. We got the Bible in a way that had never happened before. The Catholic Church was keeping the Bible out of the Christians' hands. The Reformation period took place. We got the Bible. It got, started getting printed. 1611 got printed, and the Bible just exploded. That's the Reformation period. Most of our history has been a rather Bibleless Christianity that was dictated or defined mostly by the church. That's the Catholic Church. Not by people who read the Bible. We're Bible believers. We're Bible readers. He's talking about the Catholic Church. We gain the freedom to approach it, and then we gain the freedom to get a hold of it, and then in the current age, we have ceded that aspiration to media, to entertainment forms, to prepackaged interpretations that are delivered to video. People would rather watch a video and a movie about the Bible than to read the Bible. They'd rather go watch a movie called Miracles from Heaven or God's Not Dead 1 and 2 and 4 and 5 and 16 than to pick up a Bible and read what God said. Now, guys, there's nothing wrong with those movies. There's nothing wrong with that stuff if you've got the Bible, too. But when you close your Bible up and you put it on a shelf and you're relying on a preacher to tell you what God said or a pastor to tell you what God said or a government official like Trump or Hillary or Obama to tell you what God said or a movie to tell you what God said, you're doing yourself a disservice. Don't rely on what I have to say. Rely on what the book says. I can lie to you. This book's not going to lie to you. We need to get back to the Bible. We need to bring the Bible back into our schools. We need to bring the Bible back into our homes. Because I heard a wise preacher down from North Carolina. He said, hey, the Bible was took out of the homes way before it was took out of the schools. You go to a school like Blanket. You go to school like Bangs, Texas. These are schools I know about that still have Christians, that have Christians that love the Lord, that teachers that love the Lord. You know what you find in those schools? The Bible. Scripture. You find prayer. You find teachers praying over students. I didn't think they allowed that. Go tell Washington. It's still happening, Amen. You go to these football games, they're praying at the football games in the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, they're not allowed to do that. You go tell them. When you have Christians in a community, they're not going to tell us what to do. They've got you fooled. They want to scare you into acting like they want you to act. Guys, as Americans, as American Christians, we need to stand up and get some guts. 
Be bold for Jesus Christ. Our Savior was full of grace. Our Savior is full of love. But our Savior was a man's man. And when they were messing with the temple, he came in there and he said, Hey guys, will you please stop doing that? I wish you'd stop selling that stuff at that table. No, our Lord, he got up a little whip and he went in there and he took those tables and he threw those tables out and he started slapping them around and get out of here. You're turning my father's house into a den of thieves. He got on them. He was a man's man. He didn't pussyfoot around. I serve a man's man. And if Jesus Christ that you're seeing on TV, they portray as a semi-queer, if you're, serving, you're thinking that's who you're going to be coming to, that's not who you're coming to when you accept Jesus Christ. You're not coming to somebody that's holding a flower, kissing the butterflies, and kissing the morning dew. We're talking about a man that is a man's man. He was mad enough to stand before Pilate, and he said, you don't want to know the truth. This is happening because I want it to happen, Pilate. And Pilate was so scared, he walked out, and he, he said, uh, i got to get a final way to get rid of this guy. His wife was so scared of Jesus, she came in and said, don't have anything to do with this man. This is a man that could crucify Jesus at the moment, at a word, could crucify Jesus. And he was scared of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Why was he scared of Jesus? Because Jesus was a man's man. We need to be men. We need men in this country to rise up. It just takes one of us. It's not going to start at the top, guys. It's going to start at the root. It's going to start in this church. It's going to start in our homes. It's going to start in our hearts. Amen. That's how America is going to be great again. Listen, you might not believe me, and I don't care if you believe me or not. We're not going to vote America great again. We're going to have to rely on God to make America great again. It's not going to be a new education policy. It's not going to be some kind of military strength. It's going to be God. Amen. And you're not going to vote that in. You're going to do it in your homes Starting in your hearts, working out into your homes, working out into your churches, working out from the pulpit, working out from there. And we'll break this thing back down and we'll make America great again. And those people at the top, they will fall. They will tumble. They're only there because we put them there. It's not, it doesn't scare me that there's idiots like Obama in America. I know there's, a, there's an idiot like that around every corner. What scares me is there's enough idiots to vote him in. That's what scares me. These same people are going to be voting again. So what does that tell you? We need to start here. One man can change this country. One man for the Lord. I'm going to give you one last step for America to be great again. This is the most important step. If not the most important, it's one of the most important steps. It's found in Genesis chapter 12. Please turn to Genesis chapter 12. We need to get our Bibles back. In the schools, we need to get. We need as Christians we need to start reading our Bibles. We want America to be great again. We need to get back to God. We need to get back to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the answer to making America great again. The Bible says, "Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty." Man, yes, the Spirit of the Lord is liberty. You might say, "Why have we lost all our liberty, Brother Keegan?" Because the Spirit of the Lord has took off. If we can get the Spirit of the Lord moving back in this country, we'll have liberty again. Liberty. But the sixth step, the last step to make America great again is found in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, now Abraham turns, Abram turns into Abraham. 
Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will show thee. See, this, this whole book you're in your lap is about a land agreement between God and Israel. In verse 2, And I will make of thee a great nation. We know that nation is a nation of Israel. And I will bless thee, bless the Jew, and bless, bless every Jew. You know the Jew's blessed, amen? Okay. And make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Almost every banker is a Jew. Almost every movie producer is a Jew. Everybody that owns the, the movie industry, the music industry, everything you can think of in, in the world is run by the Jews. That's why the Jews are hated. But look at verse 3. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. As a country, as Americans, we need to get back to loving Israel. We need to get back to doing whatever we can to bless that little country, Israel, over there. We need to stop throwing Israel under the bus. And we need to get some leaders up there that understand that Israel is the most important thing to keep in this country safe. Because when we curse Israel, and I'm looking at you, Obama, I'm looking at you, Condoleezza Rice, I'm looking at you, George Bush, I'm looking at you, John Kerry, when we curse Israel, God curses America. I've got a book at home, and you're welcome to borrow it any time of day or night. Call me up at 2 in the morning, and I'll bring it out to the front of my door. It's called Don't Mess with Israel. And it's got documented evidence where every time America's did something against Israel, God sent a storm against us, something bad's happened to America. Every single time. President Senior Bush is over there, and he's trying to push this land agreement off on Israel, and he's trying to really do it. He's really pushing it, and he thinks he's got it done, and the perfect, they call it the perfect storm rises up and it comes in and it hits the east coast and when it hits the east coast it destroys president senior bush's house his little getaway house it just destroys it the world called it the perfect storm i call it god's wake-up call if you mess with israel god's going to mess with you and if we want america to be great again we need to get on israel's side and if you look at england and england was the sun never set on the english empire england had this empire that run across the whole world. It looked like England would never fall. And when England turned her back, thanks to Winston Churchill, turned her back on Israel, before it was all over, London was bombed, the whole nation was in destruction, and before it was all over, England was a third-rate country. That was in 40 years, 50 years. 50 years God took England and said, I'm done with you. And one of our presidents got into office, and he was the only one that forced the UN to vote Israel into becoming a nation in 1948. You know what happened there? God said, flipped it and said, okay, England, get to the back of the line. Here's my country right here, America. And we have been a great nation from then on. After World War II, man... And then what happened? We started turning our back on Israel. We started turning our back on Israel. And what amazes me is we turn our back on Israel to support the Muslims that flew planes into our country, into our tires. And then we have people come up and say, the Muslim religion is a peaceful religion. And I, no, 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 no. Now listen. I'm not ever going to argue with you that there's some Muslims that are peaceful. Just like there were probably some Nazis. Some Nazis that were very peaceful Nazis. But they're still Nazis. 
It's still evil. Islam is evil. I don't care if you had a peaceful neighbor that's a Muslim. You say, that's the best neighbor I ever had. And he's a Muslim. He might be. But he's still going to send you to hell. It's all about Jesus Christ. Do you understand? The Bible says it's all about Israel and Jesus Christ. You need to get this Jew. His name is Jesus. You need to ask him to save you. And he's a Jew. Now, mind you, he's a Jew. You might not like that. Like it or not, he's a Jew. God chose a Jew. And he said, you've got to get that Jew and you've got to ask him to save you. Because he's the one that died for you and then you'll be saved. you get to heaven. You're going to go to heaven because of a Jew. Look at that verse again and I'll close. And I will bless them that bless thee and I'll curse him that curseth thee. And in thee, out of Abraham, through his seed, shall all families of the earth be blessed. All families, all families. My family. How's my family blessed by Abraham? Because Abraham begat David that begat Jesus that died on the cross of Calvary and begat me. When I accepted Jesus Christ, I was born again and I'm now a part of the family of God. I'm blessed and my family is blessed because of that Jew. So if America wants to be great again, they better bless Israel and stop cursing her. If you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, He's a great Savior. And I'm, I'm not here to tell you that if America was to fall down tomorrow and completely collapse, I've still got Jesus. I don't need America. I, I don't mean to be crude. I don't mean to be rude. If this flag was to get burned and America was to get destroyed and took over by the Chinese, you know what? I really don't care. I've got Jesus Christ. See, this country is where I'm living now in the flesh, but my real home is up in heaven. And my real home doesn't have taxes. My real home doesn't have death. My real home has a mansion. I might be living in some rundown house down here, but in my real home in heaven, I've got a mansion waiting on me. And it's all because of Jesus Christ. And if you've never received Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, it's a free gift. Nothing asked in return. All you need to do according to the words of God, God's simple words is you just need to come down and receive Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. He will save you and he'll reserve you a place up in heaven. So no matter what happens in America, who gets voted in or who doesn't get voted in, or what, if this country completely collapses, you still have a home in heaven. And I want to tell you something in closing about the end of this. When you read the very end of this book right here, America does collapse. God says, I'm going to gather all nations and he's going to destroy them at the Battle of Armageddon. And that all includes USA. So as good as we can make this country right now, there will come a time that God says, I'm going to gather them all. So when you're seeing this stuff going on in America, don't fret, Christian. This is just a sign that Jesus Christ is about to come back. And I'm ready. He's going to clean this mess up. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your words. And Lord, forgive us for not having more respect for your words that you've sent us, Lord. And you did so much to get these words in our hand, Lord God. Men and women have died and bled to get these words in our hand, Lord God. And we take this book and we just put it on a shelf and let the dust cover it up, Lord God. We don't even think about it. Lord God, I ask you to give us a love for your words, Lord God. Give us a time and an opportunity, Lord God, to just sit down and open up your book, Lord God, and just read and have you speak to us through your words, Lord God. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for what he did on the cross of Calvary, Lord God. Thank you for your nation of Israel. 
that proves your prophecies from hundreds and thousands of years ago, Lord God, that you are a God that prophesies. You tell us, what, tell us what's going to happen before it happens, Lord God, and we can sit here today in 2016 and know God said it, and it took place, and I can believe him. Lord, thank you for those promises. Lord God, if there's somebody beneath the sound of my voice that's never received this free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, as we give this invitation, Lord, speak to the heart that they might come down and get saved. I'm praying all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church. Are you sick and tired of this world? Are you sick and tired of this life that you're living? Did you know that God has a free gift for you? It's the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Have you ever received this gift? You know a gift can be offered but not received. You can bow your head and ask Jesus right now to save you and give you his free gift of eternal life. Now you might ask, how do I know he'll give me this free gift? Because I did the same thing because I bowed my head knowing I'm a sinner and asked him to save me and he did. And I've never been the same. And this life with Jesus is a thousand times better than anything this world can offer me. Now, we would love to hear from you if you want to contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. Until next time. Casting all your care upon him.